scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we do come to you this morning and continue to thank you for the power that's in the truth of your word. We thank you for humbly coming to the world that you created just simply because you loved us so much. And today, God, we pray that in the power and in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will fill this place and fill our lives with your glory. God, help us to see you. Help us to bow before you in praise and worship and adoration. Now, as we look to your word, bring us to your heart change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our, our journey through Advent this year. I don't, know if, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere we go. And especially here in God's house. You, you survived Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, the first Sunday of Advent last week, Cyber Monday, and Giving Tuesday. And you survived. Here you are this morning to join with us again in the second Sunday of, of Advent. Um, I invite you to join me again this year in looking at Christmas through the Spirit of God's Word, the Bible. And as we shared last week, we're going to be walking through Philippians chapter 2 uh, in the four weeks that we have preceding Christmas this year. Uh, and we're going to be looking at our values. This past week, I saw where Timothy Keller said, and I quote, Contemporary people tend to examine the Bible looking for things that they cannot accept. But Christianity and Christians should allow the Bible to examine us, looking for things that God 
cannot accept. Then we will see the sweet grace offered and the beauty of His love mean so much more. And that's my prayer this morning for me and for you. That we will let God, through His Word, look into our hearts and let us know what He is not willing to accept as we bow before Him and open up our lives to Him to accept what He has to offer us. Again, Palmetto Shores has four values. Last week we looked at the value of relationship in the first five verses of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to rewind some of that this morning from a different theme, from the second value of humility. Uh, The foundation for relationship is humility. The second value that we discover this week. It all started in the Old Testament. You remember the words in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It all starts in our relationship with God by humbling ourselves. Humility is a choice. And it's a necessary choice to knowing God. Now let that sink in and soak in as we move through this text this morning. Over in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, here's Peter's perspective. He says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, He will exalt you. So again, Peter reminds us that humility is a choice. Humble yourself. It's a necessary choice if we're going to walk with God. So if anyone had a right to be proud, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to Philippians that you've heard read this morning. And again, we're going to unpack it and walk back through it again. But Paul did not allow pride to trap him. He didn't fall into that pride trap. He, he never let his personal ambition or achievement, although he wrote a third of the New Testament, he wrote all of the New Testament epistles, he did not let his achievements overpower and outshine the glory of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And in humility, <clears throat> that should be your goal and my goal as well. And so this morning, we want to answer the question, how can we have a humble heart? How can we humble ourselves and pray? How can we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God? Paul gives us three directives for the church in falling into a state of humility and living in a state of humility. So let's look at them. First of all, humility opens up the door for unity in Jesus. Quite simply, humility opens up the door for unity in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from what? Selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also at the interest of others. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so the starting point for your faith in Christ, the starting point for Christianity is humility. It's the foundation. Humility starts in the mind. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility starts here, by the way I think. And the way I think is determined by what I put into my mind. And so if every morning I wake up and I say, Lord Jesus, you are King. You are Lord. I humble myself before you. That is the starting point of life in Christ and life in unity in Jesus. Our staff recently worked through a book by Peter Scazzaro entitled The Emotionally Healthy Disciple or Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And here are just a few characteristics I want to point out this morning that humility means to life in the church. First of all, Scazzaro says that humility demands that I allow myself to be sorrowful and troubled in front of others. It's a humbling thing to admit that I'm sorrowful. It's a humbling thing to admit that I'm troubled in my spirit. But sharing sorrows and troubles should be normal in the life of a healthy church. In fact... A church is not alive. A church is not healthy. If members of the church are not sharing sorrows and sadness with each other, sharing troubles with each other. Here at Palmetto Shores, we've made every effort that we possibly can to give you freedom in sharing your troubles and sorrows with us through our info tab on our church services app. If you haven't haven't been a part of that, why not? I mean, it's an opportunity. We have... Every week we have people share a confidential prayer request on our info tab, on our church services app, where it gives us as a a staff an opportunity to pray diligently for the deepest needs and sorrows that our members have. So keep humbly sharing those sorrows. Every week when you go out, if you don't use the app, There are cards at the front desk where you can write out your prayer requests. We read those carefully and pray for those diligently. It's humbling to share those sorrows, I know. But that's part of being church family. That's part of being a church fellowship. Kazaro goes on and says, Humility allows me to admit to my church family when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Now that's huge. Here's how deeply I feel about that. If you haven't felt overwhelmed in the last two years, you're not in touch with your feelings, and you need help. Being overwhelmed has been part of our existence over the last two years. I know personally, I've often fallen into the pride trap of not being willing to share sufferings and and needs that I have, sorrows that I have. And that is not humility. It's arrogance. It's pride. 
And I confess that spirit and pray that God will forgive me for not being willing and open to share when I have sorrows and needs and I feel overwhelmed. In Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren says that revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. And that's what church life is all about. It's about sharing overwhelming experiences together so we can bond together and pray for one another. Skazara goes on and says that humility encourages me to ask for help and ask for prayers for others. Why would anyone in the body of Christ be reluctant to ask for help from other church members? Why would anyone in the body of Christ be reluctant to ask for prayer of all things from other church members? Unity grows when we truly share life together, especially in the area of needs and asking for help and asking for prayer. So asking for prayer is actually the next step in being blessed by God. Remember he said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray... The first step is to humble ourselves. We need help. We can't do this on our own. We're in partnership with God and with each other. And then we pray. We pray to connect with God and connect with each other. That's what life in church is all about. Scazzaro then goes on and says that humility drives me to pray in utter dependence to surrender my will to God's will. And, and this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the water hits the wheel. We're willing to say, I need help, God. I can't do this on my own. I admit that I need you. I admit that your way is better than my way. And I'm in utter dependence upon you, God. Here's the way that works. See, there can only be one ultimate source of strength in life. And here's what it's not. It's not your spouse. It's not your family. Your family can't hold you up. Your spouse can't hold you up. It's not your work. It's, it's certainly not the government. <laughs> There's only one source, ultimately, that can hold you up in life and in eternity, and that's God. So utter dependence on surrendering your will to God's will. Jesus set the example for this. Right before he went to the cross, he said, God, not, not my will but yours be done. And this was God in the flesh praying this. How much more should I be willing to pray that prayer? God, not my will, but yours be done. And finally, Scazzaro says that humility crushes and buries my prideful spirit in order to draw attention to Jesus. This is the goal. It's the, the goal of life is to draw attention to Jesus. How does that work? Well, it starts by me humbling myself Humbling myself and saying, God, bury my prideful spirit. How long has it been since you prayed to God and said, God, show me any pride in my life 
that might be blocking your glory shining into my life and shining out of my life. See, the opposite of humility is what? It's pride. And the Bible is very clear. Pride destroys the ability for you to be blessed by God. Pride destroys the ability for you to be truly loving in your church family. Because pride says, I come first. I'm putting myself above everybody else. And that's, that's not church. That's not relationship with God. We have to flip that thing over because the Bible says pride goes before destruction. And destruction takes the focus off of God and puts the focus on ourselves in a really negative way. So are you willing to join me today and ask God to reveal any pride that might be in your life? Any prideful spirit that might be in your life? Rather than drawing attention and glory to Jesus, pride does just the opposite. It takes away, it distracts from the glory of Jesus. So the ultimate goal of the believer is for us to let his, shine, his light shine in us so His glory can shine from us. And that starts by praying and asking God to humble us. God, humble me. So how are you doing with humbly functioning in the body of Christ? This letter to the Philippians is a letter written to a church that was having a disagreement. There were two parties in the church arguing with each other, in discord with one another. And the members could not get along. And so Paul, even though he was in Rome, in prison, he wrote back to the church at Philippi in Europe. And he said to them, you know, listen to the mediator that I want to put between you two parties and work this thing out. Why? Because it was taken away from the mission of the church. It was destroying the world being able to see the power of the gospel working in the church, which is the ultimate purpose of the church. Now here's the deal. Unity in the church will always humble us. Because people are messy. <laughs> My problems are messy. Your, mess, your problems are messy. And when we start dealing with our messes, it becomes a challenge. And the only way we can give glory to God through our struggles is by asking God to humble us. So properly handling conflict in the church demands humility, and here's what it'll do. It will always bring out the best in the church. We think it would bring out the worst. No, it brings out the best in the church. So humility opens the door to unity. You can't have unity without humility. You can't. It's impossible. Secondly, moving to the new part of the passage, humility opens the door to know Jesus. You can't even know Jesus. I can't even know Jesus without asking God to humble me. Look at, look at verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we go again. Humility is the beginning of knowing Jesus. You can't know Jesus without humbling yourself. Human nature says that we naturally worry about ourselves first. We naturally make sure that we are comfortable. We naturally make sure that we get the credit and glory that we deserve. Human nature destroys humility when we allow it to. It's a choice. It's a choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so as a servant of Jesus Christ, our old self-interest nature is replaced by the nature of Jesus. And that's how humility allows us to live as Jesus would. We can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it in the strength of Jesus by allowing His life and His nature to replace our life and our nature. This means two things. Number one, it means putting other people first. Number two, it means serving others, looking out for their interests before we look out for our own personal interests. Now, humanly speaking, that's impossible. You can't do that in your human strength. You can only do that when you know Jesus. And the only way you can know Jesus is to humble yourself, humble yourself, and ask Him to control your life. Here's how that looks. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three different persons. Second person of the Spirit is Jesus. Verse 6, look at it. It says, though He, talking about Jesus, was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. That's the picture of humility. We empty ourselves. We say, God, thank you for taking that old nature and replacing it with your new nature. I ask you to do that moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. Continue to empty me and fill me with you. Jesus willingly emptied himself and became a humble person like you and me. He emptied himself and entered the world in a most humble way. Imagine the creator of the world becoming one of us by being born in an animal feeding trough. That's humility. And then not only was he born in an animal feeding trough, he was parented by people like you and me, sinners like you and me, Joseph and Mary. Not some royalty, not in some palace, in a carpenter shop. And then ultimately, according to the scriptures, 
He emptied Himself to the point where He went to the cross. For you and me, He was stretched between heaven and earth. You see this beautiful tree behind me? Easter time, that tree is going to become a cross. See, the birth of Jesus means nothing if it wasn't for the cross. He was stretched between heaven and earth. He was ridiculed, spat upon, beaten, stripped naked, hung between heaven and earth in humility. The most excruciating death that a person can die. Stretched between heaven and earth and humbled. He humbled himself for you and me. Why? For God so loved the world. That's you. That he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. That whoever believes in him You can't do that without humility. Admitting that you're a sinner. Repenting of your sin. Turning away from your sin and turning to God. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through Him might be saved. Do you see how much God loves you? If you're walking in this direction and you're headed down the road to sin and in sin and filled with pride and self-sufficiency and self-reliance, you say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. That's not enough. You're still walking in this direction just to admit it. You've got to turn, repent, and turn and say, Okay, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe that I want to give my life to Jesus so that the rest of my life can be spent giving glory to you. That's what it means to receive the gift that God offers. It's not just admitting that you're a sinner. It's turning away from your sin. Saying, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I receive your gift of salvation so that I can spend the rest of my life giving glory to you. What a great passage. Humility opens the door for us to know Jesus. You can't know Jesus if you don't bow before Him and admit that you're a sinner. It's a sad thing. That one day many people, far, far, far too many people who think they're good are going to stand before God and hear God say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You can never be good enough to work your way to God. The only way you can come to God and know Jesus is by receiving the gift that He offers. Asking Him to forgive you of your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin and say, God, I want the rest of my life to be about loving you and giving glory to you. Then you'll stand before God one day and hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into your joy. It all comes to a decision about humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you. God, I want you to give me the gift of salvation so I can spend eternity with you. Jesus died in humiliation so you can be lifted up in glory. His glory. When you stand before God, you're not standing in your righteousness. You're standing in His righteousness, which is the only thing that will earn you His glory. And this leads to the final thing I need to point out in this passage this morning about humility. After you know Him and humility opens the door for you to hear the gospel and know the gospel, then you have the opportunity to share the gospel. The third point is humility opens the door to follow Jesus. Not only do you know Jesus, but you follow Jesus. Here's my definition of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows Him, knows Jesus, someone who is being changed daily by Jesus, and someone who is on mission with Jesus. What does that mean? That means that when you come to know Jesus and humble yourself and say, God, I want to make all of life about you, then the door is open for you to truly follow Jesus. Look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So true humility is the first step in following Jesus. He's the model for humility. To follow him means that I first deny myself, you first deny yourself, that's humility. I bow before God and I say, God, you are everything. I am nothing. I bow my life before you. This passage is so beautiful. Here's what it reminds me of. The name of Jesus. His name. Not my name, not your name, not any other name on planet earth. But His name is the name that is above every name. There's no one you could think of, past, present, or future, who will ever live. Above the earth, in the earth, below the earth. That means everywhere who one day will not bow a knee to Jesus and confess that He is Lord. You can either make that choice here on this earth and spend eternity with Him forever. Or you can wait till after you die and it's going to be too late. You spend eternity separated from God in hell forever and ever and ever. So I want to encourage you to humble yourself today. Make that decision today. His name is the name that's above every name. There's no higher position in life. Let me say that again. There's no higher position in life than to bow your knee to Jesus. It takes humility to bow down to somebody. It means that they're in authority. It means that they're in control. It means that their way is the right way. It means that their way is the only way. That's the way I want to live the rest of my life. 
on my knees, bowed before Jesus, recognizing him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because he will be exalted. He will be lifted up and confessed by every tongue. And that's you. You can do it now or you'll do it later. No one knew what it felt like to be humbled and to humble himself more than Simon Peter. I quoted a passage of scripture from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 where the Bible says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God and at the proper time he will exalt you. When Simon Peter wrote that, he knew something about that. Um, Simon Peter was handpicked by Jesus to be one of his disciples. And by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've been saved, if you've been set free from your sin, you're a disciple of Jesus. The call that Jesus put upon Peter is no different from the call he puts upon your life to know him and to follow him and be transformed by him. But Simon Peter was handpicked. He walked with Jesus almost every day for more than three years. Almost every day. And when the time came for Jesus to need him the most, Simon Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. He failed him. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? In John chapter 21, we, we see where a few days after Simon Peter realized that Jesus had been resurrected, he looked at his friends. He looked at his friends. He said, I'm going back fishing. I failed Jesus. I'm going back fishing. And some of his friends said, we're going too. And so they went back and got on the fishing boat and went out and started fishing again. They fished all night long and they caught nothing. They began to roll their nets in the next morning and on the shore there was a voice that came. The voice said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. <laughs> These were professional fishermen. They had been fishing all their life. They knew they always fished on the left side of the boat. They said, we caught nothing. We wasn't in a hearse to try. So they threw the net on the right side of the boat and the Net was so full of fish they couldn't even pull it in. And all of a sudden, Simon Peter realized it was Jesus. And so he jumps out of the boat. He rushes to the shore. He has breakfast with Jesus. And Jesus not only forgave Peter for his failure, Jesus restored Peter. And few humans spent the rest of their life like Simon Peter did after he failed Jesus, making more of an impact for the gospel than Simon Peter did. You know, the reality is, though, Peter's not the only one that's failed Jesus. I failed Jesus. And most probably you failed Jesus. But that, doesn't need, that needs to be a stepping stone, not a stumbling block to making a difference for the gospel through your life. Peter knew something about humility. He knew something more about being restored. And that's why he could say with all assurance, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and at the proper time 
He will exalt you. You can't even imagine what Jesus can do with your life if you'll humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and at the proper time let Him exalt you. I was in seminary with a guy named Richard Ross. Richard was a few years older than me. He was working on his doctorate when I was at Southwestern Seminary. He left seminary, went to, went to um, Nashville and set up a ministry where he spent his entire life mentoring and pouring into youth pastors. Now, you won't read his name a lot on the billboards. You won't hear where he's speaking at great places. But he spent his whole life pouring into youth ministers and youth pastors. A few weeks ago, here's what he said. The culture is dark. The church is struggling. Young believers are anxious. That's exactly the mix out of which all the great awakenings have sprung. We can wring our hands or we can pray for a King Jesus movement. End of quote. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I'm praying as we come out of this COVID stuff, as we come out of all the, the stress that we've been under in the last two years, as we begin to build toward a future that is bright and hopeful, my prayer is that we will pray for a King Jesus movement. King Jesus movements always begin by humbling ourselves, Saying, God, it's not about me, it's about you. God, I'm nothing, you're everything. God, I want you to take the messes of my life and turn them into something that will bring glory to you. How do we humble ourselves? Well, as Simon Peter demonstrated for us, we can humble ourselves after failure. And we've all been there, we'll be there again. So after failure, let's humble ourselves and say, God, this is not my story. This is not the end of my story. God, take my failure and let it bring glory to Jesus. That's a good thing. We can humble ourselves in our family. I, I don't know of many things on earth that humble us more than our family structures. Now, you may be different from me, <laughs> but my family structure humbles me. And a lot of that is on me because there, there are many times when I have opportunities to pray for my family members and let it slide. There are many times when I can confess sin to my family members that I've offended or I've abused and that one's on me. But when I take opportunities like that and humble myself and say, God has forgiven me, will you forgive me? God has put you on my heart, I'm praying for you, how can I pray for you? Or better yet, I have a need. Will you pray for me? That's humbling ourselves through our family. That's a good thing. Another way we can humble ourselves is through our church family. I've already talked a little bit about this, but when I open up my life to you, like last week I shared with you that October and November were tough months for me. I struggle with some physical challenges and relational challenges. And I need help. I need help from my church family. 
That's a healthy thing when we open up our lives to people around us. I pray that you have somebody in this church outside of your family, your immediate family, that you're confessing sin to, that you're confessing needs to, you're confessing weaknesses to, you're sharing opportunities with, you're sharing the gospel together with. When we fail to do that, we need to admit it and humble ourselves and ask God's forgiveness and ask the forgiveness of others. That is a really good thing when we function that way as a church family. We can humble ourselves when we're fearful. You can't tell me there haven't been some fears out there that have been shadows over your head that you haven't needed to bow your knee before God and say, God, I need help. I'm, I'm fearful. I could go on and on and on and on. But the bottom line is when anything, when anything drives you to your knees, it's a good thing to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and confess it, express it. That's really living. And then that's when you can be the greatest blessing to God and you can be the greatest blessing to the community of faith around you. In Peter Cazaro's book, he describes a 14th century Japanese art form called Ketsugi. I love this art form. Japanese would take broken pieces of pottery and rejoin them with a lacquer that was dipped in gold dust. And when the broken pieces were put back together and glazed with the lacquer with gold dust, listen to this now, it made the art piece a hundred times more valuable than it was in its original source. That's what God wants to do to your life and my life. He wants to take your life and my life and He wants to mend it together not with gold dust. He wants to blend it together back together with the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of our Savior. He takes those wounds in our life and He he puts His hand of healing around those wounds in our life and, and He makes us better than we were before. He makes us usable for His glory. He makes us usable for His church. So when you humble yourself and let God restore you, you become a demonstration of God's mercy and God's grace that you could never be in your own strength. You can't generate that. Only God's gift can generate that. And that's why we're so grateful for the gift of Christmas. Jesus came into this world, and that's beautiful for us to celebrate that. But He also shed His blood at the cross to complete the story for you and me. So like Peter, I pray today that you'll allow God to humbly restore you, and the way God does that is by you Humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Oh, we've always fished on the left side of the boat. 
It's always worked for us. Really? We've never done it that way before. Humbling ourselves is a huge step. It's the beginning of unity in the church. It's the beginning of following Jesus. It's the beginning of knowing Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus or know Jesus or create a spirit of unity in the church unless you're willing to humble yourself. Let Him change you into His image today. So by way of application, very simply, humble yourself and let the value of Christmas change your life and change your world today through you. One of my favorite verses in Colossians in the Bible, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 Here's what it says. I want you to listen to this now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the one thing this world needs more than anything else? The world needs hope. Are you aware that God came to a 14-year-old girl named Mary said, Mary, I'm going to do a miracle, and you're going to be part of that miracle, and the Christ child is going to be born in you so that he can be born from you. Christ in Mary, the hope of glory. It's a great thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the same thing. The same thing. I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What does humility have to do with Christmas? Well, the answer is everything. Everything. Process what Mary said in her prayer after receiving the news that she was going to birth the Christ child. Luke chapter 1, the Bible says, The angel answered Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. But Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. And He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. God, how I pray today that we will take this song of Mary after she learned that Jesus was to be born in her, she bowed herself in humility and said, Thank you, God, for choosing me to be the blessed one to bear the hope of the world in me. God, how I pray that you'll help each one of us today to see that The hope of the world today is Christ in me. God, I want your light to shine through my life. I pray that those here today will want the light of their life to shine for Jesus and give glory to Him. Because that is where the hope of the world is. In Jesus. Oh God, how I pray if there's one person here today who's never bowed a knee and said, God, I confess that I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner. Today, I repent of my sin and turn away from my sin and receive your gift of Jesus. And God, from this day on, I want the rest of my life to count for you. And oh, how God, I pray that each one of us will humble ourselves under your mighty hand so that at the proper time you will lift us up. May today be a day of great lifting by your mighty hand, O God, as we make the choice to live as humble people before you. In Jesus' name we continue to worship now. Amen.